Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to Blood Business here on CannabisRadio.com. And for those that are listening in, if I'm correct, this is going to be one of our very first episodes of the new year, 2024. So thanks for coming on back and checking out. And, you know, hope all of you had a wonderful holiday season, however you celebrate. So let's welcome back a guest who I met back in summer 2018 at the NCIA's Cannabis Business Summit in San Jose, I think it was. And then later that fall, I brought him on Brought Business, and we had a great conversation. So I am happy and thrilled to go ahead and welcome back to the program the CEO and co-founder of Zeal, Z-I-E-L, Arthur de Cordoba. Arthur, thanks for coming on back. Good morning to you. Good to be back on the show. Oh my God, it's been so long. I mean, really, when I heard, I saw the name, I was like, come on, you're going to be Arthur? This is great. Thank you, Caden, the folks, uh, you know, your team there to go and get this all set together. So last time, Arthur, we spoke about a new product you were showcasing at that time called Apex. And now we've got several generations since then, but a patent-pending radio frequency processing technology to reduce total yeast and mold count in cannabis. And I remember when we first initially talked, it was on the grassroots marketing series, where specifically, you really opened my eyes. The conversation we had opened my eyes to the overlying subject we have that we regularly address is compliance. I remember we were speaking specifically, speaking specifically about California at the time, and just looking at where, you know, there's this staggering of compliance standards across the board. And I mean, hell, since then, I still talk about CanTrust, the company in Canada that basically, you know, $77 billion worth of product destroyed because of some mistakes, mistakes they made in terms of where they were housing their cannabis. And that company's never been able to go to recover. They had to change their name. They had to go through everything. So I thought about that from our initial conversation, Arthur, that area about compliance, I stood tall across, and I've continuously rotated this topic on this program on a regular basis. And I've always mentioned the CanTrust story since it happened as proof positive for companies in here, no matter what states are opening up for uh, for cannabis, whether it's medical or adult use, for every state that opens up. And whatever the Cannabis Control Board says should be the compliance standards to be met, don't reach the bare minimum. Reach for higher than that. Be proactive. Be forward-thinking on that respect. Now, 
going back to Apex, you're on the seventh generation of the technology with Apex 7. It's an organic, natural kill step that effectively destroys harmful bacteria and cannabis with near zero THC loss, and it does so with three times the throughput of any other decontamination process on the market. So, initially, let's talk about Apex, the evolution of it. Good. Well, again, good to be back. And it has been five years and so much has changed and so little has changed in the cannabis market. And as you're talking about this, this compliance thing, compliance is not sexy. And it's said in, in the war, you know, armies, you know, fight battles, but logistics win wars. And smart people uh, think about compliance in regulated industries. And cannabis is a regulated industry and becoming more so. And it's really a hybrid between you know farming and, and me medical pharmaceutical. And I come out of the pharmaceutical business. I worked for AstraZeneca, our head of sales works for Glaxo. Uh, so we pretty much have that compliance mindset, and we take that that mindset in a data driven approach in in how we provide this service uh, that every customer, every cultivator needs to solve this problem. And if you're not solving the problem, you're probably having some sleepless nights. So as you said, you know, the, the, the contamination, you know, it, it, it's something that everybody needs to address. Uh, it doesn't get a lot of attention, but when I talk to uh, investors or people out of the market saying, well, what do you do? What do you do? And, and really, you know, we were the first along with, uh, my good friend, uh, Jill Ellsworth at Willow that, you know, we both, uh, you know, agreed that we started this uh, category back in 2016. So we're now seven years into it. And it is a, it is a, it is something, again, that every cultivator needs to address. So imagine that the flower market, there's round numbers here, but if you say the cannabis market is 20 billion total, and it's north of that, 25, 30, but call it 20. Mm -hmm. Half that market is flower, 10 billion. And a wholesale price is five, you know, five billion. You've right. got how many operators in the United States uh, need to go from, you know, growing the product to get it to that dispensary shelf, and they've got to get through that regulatory. I call it the, you know, mouse hole. And there are really three mouse holes to go through. So you know, five billion dollars worth of product to get to the other side has to go through one of the three uh, technologies, you know, that are most prevalent on the market today. So it is a not a well-known space, but an absolutely critical space for the cultivator to remain in business. And as we've demonstrated, there's a lot of money to be made by raising your your levels you know, up to full 100% compliance. Every cultivator has some degree of microbial uh, infection, some degree. Right. It varies. We've seen people who have great operations for a while at 1% failure rate. Then all of a sudden it'll balloon up to 20%. We've seen people at 40% failure rate. But if you, you stop and think, and back to 2018, I remember how cultivators talked about this. Yeah. They said, we have no problem. Okay. Then it moved to, <laughs> we don't have a problem, but the guys across the street, I've got a problem because my <laughs> product is clean. Yes. Then it okay, moved to, we have a problem but it doesn't happen too much. And then as, as cannabis has matured, uh, CFOs come into the, into the business and they, they ask the following question. Well, I just gave you $20 million to grow this, 
know, greenhouse, but you're failing 20% of the product. And then the cultivator says, the old guy says, because yeah, but you know, we've got this manufacturing operation. We just, you know, throw it over the wall to them and, you know, it solves the problem. And the CFO says, no, it doesn't solve the problem because our manufacturer is buying trim and, and biomass for 20 cents on the dollar. And so you're throwing away 80% of the profits on this. So round numbers, if you're growing $10 million for flour and you're failing 20%, you're leaving $2 million on the table. Yeah, you can sell it for you know, $100,000, $200,000. You know, yeah. last, well, you, you've just effectively just thrown away $1.8 million. And the CFO says, uh, no more of that. Uh, no. We're going to have a, uh, we're going to address this up front. We're going to incorporate it into our SOPs. And that's really where the industry has moved to. Instead of being a reactive step, I failed lab testing. Now what do I do? People have realized, just like Lauren, pay for your lawyers up front. It's cheaper. And that's what the industry is moving to, to incorporate this, some call it kill step, microbial control step, in your post-harvest processing, just before you go out testing the first time. It's the right way to do it. It's efficient. It's effective. And you can save and and increase your top line revenue and your profitability. And also sleep better at night. Right, right. A couple of things I want to unpack. Uh, Number one, Jill Ellsworth, Willow Industries. We love her. We've had her on the one business many times as well. We'll always love to have her on back. When it comes to third-party testing labs, you know, Really, it's just a matter, of, I think, that some companies just would use it as just part of a checklist. Okay, we're just going to troubleshoot. All right, if the third party says it's fine, we're fine. We're not going to do our own independent testing. We'll trust the third parties. But we've seen, you know, not all third-party labs are, you know, going to have the best. They're going to hold on and give you the reports what they are, but, you know, they're it's still upon the companies to go in and work on their own standards. And on top of that, you know, when I've talked enough about compliance here, okay, so if I say you need to be above and beyond the state-approved compliance standards, okay, so what's that going to be? There's a universal standard that we've heard a lot about, good manufacturing practices, GMP. And, you know, we have people that have been consulting in that end to talk about that kind of deal. Uh, I said that, you know, she couldn't go that route. What do you think about GMP as a universal standard? Do you think it meets the criteria that would be required that would work good with a product like yours? with Apex or others, that would be enough to take care of, you know, peace of mind of what the company's doing. So uh, it's a topic that is very much at the forefront in the European market because it is solely a medical market. There is no rec for all intents and purposes in the EU or in the UK. But they do require, because the medical market, that all cultivators product being grown within the EU and or imported come from GMP silly. GMP is not in itself a regulatory threshold of a number that you need to hit. GMP is a process. And here the Europeans have a very different approach to testing. In the United States and Canada, I call it, it's reactive testing. You know, you test every single thing that comes out, right? Each time. Mm-hmm. Flip that around. Like the pharmaceutical industry, you get your process validated up front. Yes, they'll come audit you once a year, double check. But this repeat testing for every batch that comes out does not exist in that regime. So you you validate it up front. 
And then it's a rigorous validation. And then you just go. So it's not good business for the lab, the testing labs here in, uh, or over in Europe. It's a great business here in the United States to be in the testing business because everything needs to be tested. So it's a very different approach. Uh, we're with a number of European customers over, and we're in Portugal, Macedonia, Germany, um, more coming in Malta and Czech. And our product, our, our technology uh, slots in well to a GMP process, principally because uh, you know we come out of the food business. We know how this is done. Um, we assist all our customers in their GMP onboarding, and then they're good to go. Yeah. But uh, GMP here in the United States is is not uh, as we're in a rec market. Not a, not a, yes, we have a medical market, but it's primarily rec. Um, GMP has really fallen off the radar here in the United States. Unless you, and we can't import to Europe right now. So there's no incentive in a rec market and in a market that we can't export out of to pay for the extra processing of, of GMP upfront. And your state regulator doesn't care if you're GMP because their code is, I'm going to test every batch that comes out. Now, Canada also does go out with GMP practices, but I mean, for those that are advocating that companies go GMP compliant, would you recommend it yourself? It is the gold standard. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's not just our technology. The, the operator, whether they're doing GACP or then moving to post-harvest GMP, and it is a difference. GMP doesn't play in the cultivation side. It's GACP, good agricultural uh, cultivation practices and GMP plays in the post-harvest side of the equation. So it costs money to go through it. It costs money to keep it up. But if my market is the United States, um, I'm not being rewarded for it in the current regulatory framework. Right. In the current, I say in the current regulatory framework. And now that is a, I'm dangling that because if and when the FDA takes over the rule book, they could mandate entire industry has to meet GMP standards in post-harvest production. And you know, we don't we don't know uh if and when that's gonna come, but in my humble opinion, that's the only uh I don't see you rewarded for it up front here, as long as we can't export to Europe, which does require it. And just Canada, to be- Canada does ex- because federally approved, Canada does export to Europe. And so right. all those facilities are GMP in Canada, enabling them to export to the EU. And I, I remember you know, for years I've been calling Canada, uh, Canada basically like the OPEC of cannabis because the ability they're going to be able to export to say South America or Australia or Europe in those cases because of all the inventory they have, all the extra supply they have, they have to get it somewhere because of all the restrictions they have in terms of having online stores or where they can sell. And it just, it, it, you know, it, we always kept looking at that time, five years ago, was the rollout of federal legalization for Canada and cannabis. And, you know, the track record they've had over there, we've seen the bumps that they've gone through. And obviously we've seen a lot of companies want to go and build, you know, million square foot facilities and start growing up the wazoo, but it's like, are you taking care of the product? Are you testing? Are you making sure there's not any issues? And it doesn't matter if it's all greenhouse. 
mean, obviously we know there's a lot of issues when it comes to outdoor. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but that's one of those things where, you know, it's a concern to me why I see that across. Now, with zeal, just to make the point, it's not just cannabis and not just hemp. Because you've also been doing this for a long time when it comes to nuts, seeds, dates, prunes, and other edibles. It's been it's been a lot across there. So it's not just here. That's why they're such important about where I get to talk to you about this and the understanding of it. Because you go across multiple industries and in understanding this as well. It's agriculture. It still comes down to that. Now, the other product you also have available it has been recently introduced is the RFX. Newest generation of radio frequency technology to control microbial pathogens in cannabis while retaining product sensory qualities. It has a greater than 99% pass rate and the highest volume throughput in the industry with the capacity to process 160 pounds of cannabis in an eight-hour shift. So this most, most recently was introduced. Uh, don't know if you went to MJ Biz and introduced, but obviously it's out there for folks. What can you tell us about the new product line? So the RFX is the culmination of three years of R&D. It was a joint partnership between Stalem, our OEM in Italy, our sale with Zeal with feedback from our customers from hundreds of tons processed, and our stakeholder ammunition group. And as the CEO of Stalem said, Arthur, we make fantastic machines that work, have 99.99% uptime, but we don't make love to them. So this is our... Uh, what I call my uh, my my northern Italians in the shadow of uh, the Austrian Alps, uh, they're not the Gucci Italians. They're not known for their styling. They make really strong industrial machines. So we reached out to uh, a gentleman named Robert Bruner here in San Francisco, where Zeal is based, and we said, Robert, you kind of know what you're doing here. Help us come up with a unit that's half the size, that is uh, has a great user interface. Uh, looks good, um, but we need to have the same throughput, but a half the footprint and make it look better, but better user interface. And Robert uh, took a look at and Robert worked uh, for a little company called Apple. He started their industrial design group, hired Johnny Ive. And so we engaged ammunition to design that unit. So we unveiled that at MJ Biz this year, but same throughput as large machine, half the footprint, and one important thing, instead of requiring 480 volt, it runs on 240. So for cultivators uh, that don't have access to 480 power, that's an important thing if you're, you know, a rural operation outside, and so, uh, or outside a uh, metropolitan area. Wonderful, amazing. Where you get, you know, the 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 resources, the people that you bring on board to go and create again a three year in the making product to put that together. Uh, Arthur, we're going to go to commercial break. When we come on back, you know, I've already talked about this with several other guests on the program, but this is something where, like, if I had Arthur around to go and talk about this, I got to talk to you about this. So recently it was an investigation from NY Cannabis Insider, New York Cannabis Insider blog, uh, that back in September they learned about some issues, specifically about the outdoor cultivation in the regulated state of New York and learning about what the issues about that. And... For me, I was just having to ask the question about what is it about, if we're seeing the kind of issues that are going on in terms of contaminants being found in plants in outdoor grows, then why are outdoor grows being allowed in in new states and, and other states in general? Should there be something to be addressed about that? We're going to talk about that after a short break, but here I'm with the CEO and co-founder of Zeal, Z-I-E-L.com. Make sure to go look at what we talked about earlier when it comes to Apex 7 and RFX. Take a look at that on the website as we go to commercial break. We'll be right back. 
rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Blood Business. I'm here with Arthur De Cordova, the CEO and co-founder of Zeal. And Arthur, before the break, you know, I may have mentioned, you know, in five years, been doing this program now, five, almost six years, and learned a lot from doing this. And like I said, from the time you told me about, you know, this when it comes to yeast, mold, bacteria, and all the issues about that, at that NCIA show, it's taken me all, you know, full circle coming over the year now and paying attention to stories like this. So there was a recent investigation in September that was conducted by the publication NY Cannabis Insider. And I talked to several attorneys about this to understand what was going on here, where the state's requirement that weed or cannabis will be grown outside and not indoors has led to high levels of bacteria, yeast, and mold among products that experts say should not reach consumers. And despite public health and safety mandates, state regulators have maintained a relatively hands-off approach to enforcement and left it up to farmers who are struggling to survive to decide whether their products are safe. And dozens of the products that were tested showed state-certified labs have consistently broken the rules for reporting pesticides, heavy metals, and other contaminants. So before we get into what they actually learned about, the kind of risks that are involved with states like New York that allow outdoor cultivation, I mean, it's being a lot. I mean, obviously, people feel like they're going to do it because it's just like with agriculture, grow it outdoors instead of greenhouses. I don't even know why they would do it in New York with the climate they have. But when you look at states that allow this and the risk of doing outdoor cultivation, what would you say about that? We have customers who are both indoor and outdoor, and they both face the same problems, right? One is not unique. Maybe the source is a little bit different. Uh, location, location, location. But we have a customer in Michigan that's all indoor. Uh, last year, they did 16 tons processed with just one apex, 100% of their flour. Wow. We have another customer uh, who's one of our, our, our polling partners in Michigan, Hello Farms, and they just harvested 55,000 plants. So they're about plus minus, you know, 30, 35 tons of flour that's processed through two of our units. So both are achieving the end results. Uh, both are, are, you know, different grow environments, but, you know, our technology, you know, solves those problems for, for both uh, grow environments. The, with specific to New York, uh, I don't know the details. I do know it is just, you know, outdoor, it's very small footprint also to protect the, uh, you know, the smaller guy. And uh, I would, I would say that 
regulators, you know, like the cultivators, they're feeling their way. How do we, how do we, you know, navigate through this? And they're trying to do the best job possible. It isn't always uh, in the first step out of the gate, the best, most practical way. So my, my, uh, I guess assumption will be the New York regulators will learn, they'll adapt, right. they'll make it uh, rational. And often we see regulators doing irrational things, maybe with best of intentions, but they don't fit in into the business practices and they're just not practical. So there's a, you know, now there's a retrenchment. You know, we saw it in, you know, through Nevada, we've seen it in Michigan. Every state is continually modifying their regulations. And the more the cultivators engage with the regulators, instead of fighting them, the better outcomes for everyone. But until they make those changes, and for those that want to go and feel like, well, listen, the third party labs, a good, you know, a good part of the process, but not the most, uh, the, not the only process you got to have. This is why I think with a product like Zeal, and I'm, listen, you want to call it an endorsement, okay, but it's a matter of that you need to have that peace of mind. And as you said, for those that are doing indoor or outdoor, when they've been using products from Zeal, they haven't been having these kind of problems. They've been able to curb those kind of issues because that's the extra fail safe that you got to have within the process of cultivation. It's absolutely necessary. It's crucial. Now, when you talk about what the, the regulators should be doing and, and what their response to it, we have that. The Office of Cannabis Management in New York State is responsible for the rules around adult use in medical. They do not agree that the report from NY Cannabis Insider's findings indicated a significant health concern. So they had a spokesperson, Aaron Geidelman, speak and said that a high yeast and mold count does not equate to a threat to public health. Hang on to that thought quote for a second. Again, a high yeast and mold count does not equate to a threat to public health. Growing cannabis outdoors is not much different than growing tomatoes or corn or lettuce. It's a natural environment with microorganisms. And he says that the agency is aware of non-compliant test results, but has not detected serious or systemic problems with testing accuracy or compliance. So what they found in the report in here, which we can't verify or confirm, was their report says they have over 40 publicly available lab reports for some of New York's best-known brands that showed clearly non-compliant testing, misreported numbers, and missing results. So you mentioned before, they're going to make it, they're going to adapt, they're going to change, but... This is why it's more important. You've got to make sure to take care of your own house. Sure. And and, and we started the conversation today, Jorge, is that the market's evolved. I don't have a problem. I do have a problem. Now I need to address this problem. How am I going to address it? So as the cultivators, now New York is a, is a, is a <laughs> new market young compared to the seasoned uh, guys in, in Michigan or, or Nevada. They're just getting going. And so they're feeling their way too, but they will swing around to the best practices where, you know, take care of your business up front and they'll realize that. They'll also sleep a lot better at night. I mean, there are three buckets. There's, there's heavy metals, pesticides, and microbials. You can pretty much, you know, follow the rules, pesticides, they're named, you know, the heavy metals, you know, yeah. come from soil, Pretty much, you can you can arrest that one. The thing that keeps growers up at night is microbials because they're everywhere. Microbial yeah. pathogens. They're, it's just a fact of life, and you can approach it like an ostrich, or you can uh, take it head on. And you know it it's been demonstrated it's a lot cheaper financially 
to take it head on. So, uh, you know, this is the way the industry is swinging. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure the new year cultivators will will uh, adapt to that. And I believe that the the regulators will maybe widen their scope uh, of what's what's uh, good for public safety. Now, I'll say that California, uh, taking a little bit of dig in my home state, took a very laissez-faire approach also on microbial testing. And they just cherry-picked the usual suspects, E. coli, salmonella, and aspergillus. There is no TYMC testing in California. You know, large smart, and no TAMC, no coliforms, no BTGN. So it's it's pretty liberal market here. Uh, so I'm I'm not advocating one or the other, but I think that if if the FDA, if you're looking over the horizon, uh, what a regulation I don't believe is going to get more lax. It's only going to tighten. And as evidenced in Colorado, you know, yeah, they wrote these laws, MED, but there's no enforcement for the first couple of years. They were under resourced, and so then you started to see enforcement. And you know the Colorado, uh, me, the Denver, Denver Health uh, was doing secret shoppers in dispensaries, taking product off the shelf because they weren't relying on MED. And there are a number of stories on this. And they tested the product and it filled microbial, and they kind of you know pulled MED's pants down, and MED got serious then, and then started enforcing itself. And uh, you know, so regulations uh, are only as strong as there's enforcement. And it sounds like this report, and I've not read the report from New York, right? is that, again, early days of finding their sea legs on writing the rules and enforcement of they don't have the resources and uh, the expertise at this point in time, but they will get there. And there's been other stories. I mean, there's universities that have done studies where they found pesticides or there have been recalls, obviously, like in Nevada, where they've had products that had to get to be taken off the shelves because they were able to find various contaminants within the product. So the call numbers brought out, they had to pull them off. Mm-hmm. So we're responsible. There was all that part that was going on as well. But the other thing too is that when it comes to cannabis cultivation, that I guess uh, on our grassroots program uh, about a week or so ago, and you know, listen, they're talking about the future of cannabis cultivation. And I'm not going to you know mention names. I'm just going to make the point. And by the way, the investigation, like I said, we're not confirming, we're not verifying. We did not self-verify ourselves. I only bring up the story because of the fact that, you know, if these kind of things can be brought up and a, a lonely newspaper can go ahead and find this out, then that means that there are some things that are going on within other businesses and their cultivation, you know, environments that they need to get and be taken care of because these kind of things should not be getting out in the press anyway. People should just be able to go ahead and be, you know, accountable and responsible for their grows and do what they need to do to go above and beyond what the compliance, you know, of these control boards are not going to do. That's not their. That's not their problem. They're going to be considered about that. They're going to just. They only know what they're going to know. The growers know what they're, what's going on. They're, like you said, they stay asleep. They try to stay asleep at night, but they're still worried about the fact that if they're going to be microbials, they could be on their plants and whatever grow they have. No matter how many, you know, measures they can have. Like this company I was going to mention. You know, they got AI technology, robotics. Oh, we're going to run a drone across the entire grow. It's going to be able to go and pinpoint all these areas where we might see contaminants. Well, that's great, but. What about the human component? Like you still need to have people on the ground that are checking the plants every day. Yeah. Um, we refer to the cultivators who, uh, I use the word ostrich, but if you, if you don't have a, 
if you don't have this micro microbial control solution in your SOPs, you're effectively playing COA relay, waiting for them to come back. And that's why operators are staying up at night because they don't know. Yeah. And, you know, that's <laughs> electing to not, not buy or invest in the control step or incorporate one is, uh, you know, hoping the problem will go away. It's, 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 uh, it's the wrong approach. It's like being a little warm and jumping into the shark tank to cool off. You know, there are other ways to solve this problem that make economic sense. And I skipped through quickly the financials, you know, a 10,000 pound operator selling flour to a thousand bucks a pound and losing 20%, losing 2 million. Yeah. He sold off some of it, you know, for, for trim and biomass. Cause once it goes to manufacturing, you know, you don't have to be microbial compliant, but it costs 1.8 million. So our, our effects unit costs three hundred forty thousand dollars, uh, but uh, you know you it it pays itself back in three months. Yeah. So it, it's a no it's a no brainer. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you, we got to make mention of this too before we go to break again. That California, when we talk about the standards, and even back then in twenty eighteen, you talk about yeah, no TYMC uh, testing. Still don't have it. Five years later. Well, California, and I remember I was going to have somebody from California was going to talk about various issues when it came to the rollout of the, I think it was in L.A. County. Never got that person on, but I was ready for him. And I was like, well, you know, it's just, I would love to go and have some of these people go on board and, and figure that out. So the other, well, oh, go ahead. Let me, let me just, let me just say here. So I, I was, I, I was a member of the uh, California Cannabis Industry Association, uh, one of the starters, and I you know, I think they're doing great work. Yeah, but we have quality control committee, and you know, I I, I recommended that to um, the then you know CEO, and uh, we we set that up all lab people, and you know, recommendation was to expand that testing down to the TYMC TMC. My my assessment of the state of California was when they went rec, they knew they had a problem of of the black market. It's it's entrenched. It's it's systemic. It's endemic, and they said we're going to make this bar as low as possible uh, for growers to move from the black market to the white market, and they wanted to have a you know a very low uh, bar, and so they said we're not going to make it difficult for them, and so that is stood. And, and California is, is an outlier in terms of you know very very lax microbial testing. As a matter of fact, you know, Zeal doesn't have a single unit operating in California. Hmm. Amazing. And, and, yeah. My, my, my peers pretty much, you know, don't either. Um, so it's just, uh, it's a different approach. And um, I would argue it's time for a change in California. Agreed. Now, one of the reasons why we might not see those kind of changes is because after the break, I want to bring up something that's pretty significant. That there maybe there's a reason why certain state control boards do not want to change their compliance is because of who they're working with. That name is Metric. We're going to talk about that after a short break. Here, once again, the CEO and co-founder of Zeal, Z-I-E-L dot com. Look for that on the website, Z-I-E-L dot com. We're going to talk about the issues where it comes to having to coincide regulatory standards with platforms that are out there that are basically being able to be the end-all be-all in every state. We're going to talk about that after a short break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. I'm back with final questions with Arthur de Cordova, CEO and co-founder of Zeal. And, you know, 
Arthur, it was so nice going to have you back on and just go back and catch back up. And, you know, it's been five years too long. We got to get back to doing this a little bit more. A little more constant. I want to get you back on and keep having more conversations like this because this really does open the eyes of people out there. And especially for the new year, very important. Uh, Metric, uh, their website, actually, they put out a blog post about uh, cannabis testing and compliance unpacked. And one of the areas I want to just think, you know, it's one of those basic kind of, uh, kind of, tutorial kind of things it would just like a kind of a standard blog post but they make the point that the legal cannabis supply chain visibility is a critical component to enabling the monitoring of potential threats to public safety that's why data collected in regulatory solutions providers like metric m-e-t-r-c is configured to each state's unique cannabis testing regulations allowing for quick identification isolation and regulatory hold on potentially unsafe products and plants and products now Another issue I've heard about across the board, I remember we talked with the Vermont Cannabis Alliance that in Vermont, you know, the pricing for metric as a tool that needs to be, whichever tool you're using, that must be metric compliant. And the cost that goes behind that for so many smaller growers is significant. And in most states, for the most part, it looks like metric is the standard for which these the data for all these, all this testing has to go through. Metric has basically cornered the market on that. When you look at metric and what they've been able to do and coinciding with, say, if they're using a product from Zeal and they must run the data and have it collected through metric. Talk to me about that, that uh, issue right there. So probably the five most hated letters <laughs> in the, in the cannabis industry. <laughs> <laughs> uh it's a necessary evil i mean it's it, it, someone's got to measure it in the chain of custody and regulatory compliance and you know they, they've done you know out of mj biz you know used to have uh where we just returned from last week the people who were doing well you would have a two-tier mm-hmm. you know there's others no one had two tiers this year only one booth had two tiers metric right oh boy no, and I'm not, listen, I am not here to go and dispute metric. We've already talked to Sam Peterson and, and, and the folks over there at yeah. metric. Good people. Don't get me wrong. I, a lot of respect for them. We have a program right now that does, you know, program and we get into the fact of having tools that must go through metric. So I'm not saying that at all about that, but it's just that it is one of those issues that is concerning about where, you know, is they going to go and shut out some of those other growers? to be able to go ahead and work on products because of what they have to do to make sure they're metric compliant. So there's that compliance along with what the control boards are saying. The control boards are saying, well, we're just going to, you know, rubber stamp metric. Well, I, I, I I can unpack uh, this a little bit. Sure. So one thing you're touching on is metrics business model with their costs. And I can't speak to that. Right. That's something. Yeah. We always want to. No. In terms of metric being a fair arbiter, uh, you know, it's data in, data out. Right. And and so I I don't see anything nefarious with with what they do. No. Well, again, they're trying to uh you know, provide a, a service that they, that both regulators that the regulators need to have. And and you know, I think they're they're, you know, neutral party. Again, right. you know, as much as people bemoan having to do everything through metric um 
you know, it serves its purpose. I, I can't speak to, you know, what it costs a cultivator to do. Uh, I do think that, you know, the, the metric uh, being tailored to each state, uh, again, I, we've got this patchwork quilt of regulations in the United States that is ridiculous. Right. And, and uh, it makes, if you were an MSO, uh, you've got to have different processes in each each state you're operating in based on the regulatory framework of that state. So if you're looking for economies of scale as an MSO in this patchwork quilt, as, as they very well know, you know, that uh, it's really expensive to do, be an MSO in the United States. Yeah. Very expensive. Uh, versus, you know, a single single state operator. You know, he knows what he's dealing with and you build one system and you got a spell. You know, eventually, and uh, again, if and when that day comes, there's FDA, there's going to be one standard, not 34. Right. And, uh, and, you know, it'll get simplified and, you know, metric will just recalibrate it's, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, criteria based on the federal standard instead of the state standard. Yeah. So I can't really speak too much about metrics, not an area I know too much about, but I I think they do a commendable job. Agreed. Very much agree. But it is one of those things where if there were any other products that were similar to metric, they've kind of been put by the wayside because most states have gone along and said, we're going to go with metric. They're going to use that for data collection, and that's that's the way it is. But that's one of those things where if we're going to have some universal framework, you know, we're all we're doing is sounding the alarm. That's all I've been doing for the last five, six years in this program: sounding the alarm, making sure people are responsible and accountable. Continue to go ahead and talk about compliance and just hitting people over the head until they realize, okay, you don't want to be another can trust. I will keep saying that. It, it's like a drink volume. I will say it again and again. Hey, the the can trust failure. Uh, was not a failure of regulatory compliance. It was, it was, uh, it was intentional deceit. I mean, if, if people want to uh, cheat the system, they will attempt to do that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but you know, they eventually caught up with them, and uh, yeah, it's it's just an extreme case, and it's one of those where I just, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to go to that level again. But it's one of those things where it's kind of be above water. And that's what I'm worried about. So yeah. we're going to leave all that part of our compliance aside. I want to go back and talk about Zeal before we wrap things up. Because of the fact that you now have, you know, the expanse that Zeal is out there. Worldwide clientele. You're commercially processing food and cannabis products with installations in the United States, Canada, Australia, Chile, Mexico, Germany, Portugal. Boy, there's a lot of good stamps on your uh, on your passport. So talk to me about some of the work you've been able to do to get this technology that grows, more grows worldwide. And really, you know, how it, in any language, all these companies that are working with you, with Zeal, they're understanding the same plight. The, the, the customer in Chile is an interesting one because it was one of these niche markets. And they had an older generation machine and... The company is called Benexia, uh -huh. and they work with uh, farmers in Bolivia and Peru and, and Chile on chia seeds. Yeah. And they adopted radio frequency seven years ago just for chia seeds. Right. And their customers are Nestle, Costco, Walmart. Wow. And they've been an advocate of the chia seeds. Uh, my 
microbial pathogen reduction using radio frequency, which is an organic process. And so I don't know all their customers, but they have found the niche where they can market an organic processed seed. And chia seeds is one of those power foods that is right. very much vogue these days. And uh, that we just got back from Chile installing uh, the next generation machine. Then this is different than our RFX machine, which is a batch process, which can do about five pounds in a fifteen minute cycle. This is a whole different game. This is you know you know tons and tons of product, you know a, a ton of product an hour in bulk. But you know we have been focused uh, primarily on the growth in the cannabis market, and we've. I would say backburnered our food business. All our marketing is is going towards the cannabis growth. But we have enduring customers, as you mentioned, Australia, uh, uh, United States, and the seeds and Mexico in the seeds and nut business. We're also working with a customer in Mexico that does sesame seeds. So there's certain niche product products where this technology really lends itself well. Fantastic! It's so good to get catch up on this and. If I had more time, we'd put on there, but I've about, got about an hour in this, so we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. But Arthur, thank you again so much for that. And website again, ziel.com. Anything else you want to make mention of for those that want to get to connect with you and your team so they can learn more? Uh, we look forward to, to visiting them on our site and uh, making it successful. For a long time. And like I said, that's where... That's why I'm happy to go ahead and bring Arthur back on. And, and again, we will go ahead and always keep the door open for you and your team to go ahead and come on back. Arthur de Cordova, CEO and co-founder of Zeal. Thanks for being on Blunt Business. As always, always glad to have you back. Glad to be here, Rick. All right. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for listening in to as we always do. And we'll talk to you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.